You know that thing you've always been too scared to go for? It seems like you'll never have the guts. Then a cancer diagnosis. And doing that thing becomes way less scary. I would know. I've always wanted a black belt. And today, the only thing standing in my way is a few wooden boards. It's been a lot of hard work and five years since I beat cancer at Ohio Health. Bring it on. You keep making plans. Visit OhioHealth.com slash keep making plans to learn more. With your host, Andrew Donaldson, this is Heard Tell. Uh, welcome back to Hertel. Okay, let's go down to Argentina, a country we covered a couple of weeks ago on a big picture. We're going to get a little more granular, get some detail of what is going on down there. New face to the program. Happy to have him. Young Voices contributor, also a contributor with things like Forbes Argentina. He is the project manager of Fundacion Levitad. I don't think I said that right, but you can correct me when you get there. Uh, Marcos Falcone, great to have you on the program, sir. Thank you so much for your time today. Hey, Andrew, thank you for the invite. Um, down here in Argentina, we say Fundacion Libertad, uh, which literally just means Liberty Foundation. And yep. that's the, the, the oldest classical liberal flash libertarian think tank in Argentina. That's where I work, yeah. Yeah, what he said, fantastic stuff. Really appreciate you having you on. You've got a piece out in Econ Lib, and I want to walk through it because it's unusual in American media. Look, American media is very American-centric for obvious reasons, but even more so than other parts of the world. We get real insular. We don't really pay attention to the rest of the world. Some of this Argentine election is breaking through the regular media coverage, though, and some of it's because of the personalities involved. Some of it's because, you know, there's been various news items over the last 10, 15 years. Americans have a bit of an affinity for the country of Argentina, as they should. They've been a good ally for a long time. Lay the foundation of this election before we get into the particulars, though, because some people might just see the pictures or the personalities or the name involved. Lay it out for us so we have a good foundation to understand what we're talking about here. Okay, so basically we have three main candidates uh, in Argentina right now. Uh, we just had in, in early August our um, primary election. Now we're heading to the general election, uh, which is taking place October 22nd. Um, if no candidate surpasses 45% of the vote or 40% of the vote with a 10 point difference, there's going to be a runoff on November uh, 12th. And the candidate who is leading in the polls is Javier Millet, uh, who is a self-described um, anarcho-capitalist, a libertarian, um, who is running for president basically on a platform that Argentina should dollarize uh, its economy because Argentines have chosen the dollar over the Argentine peso uh, in a country which is suffering from uh, chronic inflation. Uh, we're having 130% inflation and annual inflation rate right now. Um, and then we have Patricia Bullrich, uh, who is the former Minister of Security of uh, former President Mauricio Macri. Uh, so this is Consider a center-right candidate, I would probably say more center uh, than right. Um, and then we have uh, current Minister of Economy, uh, Sergio Massa, who is the classical Peronist, so to say, uh, the classical populist that you always get uh, in Argentine elections. 
Um, and he is, well, at the time, there's some discussion on whether it is Bullrich or Massa, who is currently on second place. But all polls agree that Javier Millet is running uh, first place right now. Um, and some people even are even asking themselves whether he's not going to win in the first ballot, uh, which would be huge, um, gr like incredible news, as it was when he came uh, first in the primary in August. Because uh, just to, to finish up this introduction, uh, this was not expected. Uh, polls were saying that um, Juntos por el Cambio, which is a coalition of Bullrich, was going to come first. Um, and then there was going to be uh, second place for Sergio Massa, the, the current government, uh, pro-government coalition. And then in third place, Javier Millet was going to come. This was turned upside down uh, on August 11th. And so ever since we've been, uh, you know, dealing with, with this incredible change uh, as political scientists and economists and trying to explain what's going to happen. Yeah, and to this, of course, has a lot of nuance and layers to it, especially for a foreign audience that doesn't understand everything about Kind of the theme, though, since this happened in August, though, and you touched in it on your piece, and read this entire piece. We're going to link to it in the show notes, especially those links about the poverty line and things like that. A lot of detailed background information you'll want to educate yourself on. But the theme of this really seems to be that there's going to be a change. Are we going to do gradual change or radical change? Is that kind of a fair way to lay this out? I would say so, yes. Um, Argentina is uh, at a point where economic liberalization is becoming inevitable, uh, just because uh, there are so many regulations, um, public spending is so high, the budget, the fiscal deficit is so high uh, that the only way out of this crisis is to liberalize, is to uh, reduce public spending, reduce taxes, cut regulations. And right now, uh, the main difference between Millet and Bullrich seems to be just how fast and how exactly you do it. Uh, Millet is saying, we need to shut down the central bank altogether. You know, drop the peso, just adopt the dollar, and that will stabilize the economy immediately, and then we'll be able to cut taxes, cut public spending, cut regulations, and grow from there. Well, uh, Patricia Bullrich is saying, we need a central bank, we just need an independent central bank, which we haven't gotten in, in, in the past decades, I would say. Um, and we need to cut taxes, uh, regulations, public spending, but we need to do it in a way that makes this change sustainable in the long run, in the future. Because um, just so to give you a, a little bit more of context, um, Bullrich's coalition is likely going to have the biggest, the largest legislative bloc in Congress. Uh, Millet is very new. He is so new that currently in Congress, he only holds, well, he holds one seat uh, out of 257, and he only has one ally. Um, and we elect our legislators um, every two years. Um, we, we, we elect half of them every two years. And so what this means is that Millet is never going to get a majority in the House of Representatives or in the Senate. And so many people on the center and the center right are questioning his ability to actually implement change, for example, via decree, because not all the changes he wants to do can be made through decrees. Uh, whereas Millet is saying, 
Well, you may have, you know, a majority or, or the first minority, but you don't really want to change. You don't want to go as far as I want to go. So that's basically the, the economic discussion that we're having right now. Yeah, and part of that discussion, for folks that aren't familiar with Argentina, past Messi and Evita maybe, what's the historical background that got here? I know some of us that really study these things, we know the background. Just give people two or three waypoints of the last 30, 40 years of history because this didn't happen in a vacuum. Because you're talking about changing your whole currency. That's a big deal for any country. That, that's a massive deal. There is precedent for it. Ecuador did it uh, a while back, worked for a while, and then didn't because of other issues. But when you hear big sweeping changes like that, that happened for a reason. Give people a couple of points. I don't want to condense the entire history down because that's disrespectful, but we do need a background on how we got here, right? Yeah, so the big problem right now is inflation, basically. Um, and that is a problem that Argentina has had um, since the 1940s, the late 1940s and the early 1950s, when uh, Juan Domingo Perón, uh, a, a, a soldier, you know, came to power and started massively expanding government and spending way more than, than, than the money that the state had. And so that generated inflation um, through monetary emission. Um, now, that problem, we, we've had it for 80 years. The one time when we were able to control it was uh, the 1990s uh, when we had President Menem um, back the currency. And so that was the time where one peso was equal to one dollar. And he fixed basically the exchange rate for one decade from 1991 until it was no longer possible to keep it that way in 2001. Uh, and that was the one time in over the last 80 years that Argentina did not suffer from inflation. Now, after 2001, inflation came back. Um, even when the conditions uh, to, to hold it down were there, inflation still came back because the government kept expanding. Uh, the size of public spending as a percentage of GDP nearly doubled in the past two decades. And that has, that has had tremendous terrible consequences for the economy because that has meant that taxes have increased too but not even the increase in taxes is sufficient is enough uh, for the government to cover this massive um, uh, spending amount of spending and so you have inflation again also because nobody wants to lend money to argentina because argentina has a history of defaulting on its own debt and so the problem is that it is only short-term money that you get uh, at rates that are increasing uh, on a daily basis, I would say, at this point, where we're having 13% uh, inflation only in August. Uh, we're, we're waiting for the numbers of September. But in, in an economy like that, interest rates grow and continue to grow, but they, they're still not enough. Um, and so the risk that we have right now in Argentina is that the situation sort of spiralizes out of control, uh, spirals out of control, I'm sorry. Um, and that becomes the source of a hyperinflation. Hyperinflation is a word that we're hearing um, in, the, in this campaign uh, on a daily basis too. Millet saying that we may be heading to, hy to hyperinflation. Boris is saying it too. Massa is trying to avoid it as the current minister of economy. Um, but this is the talk that we're hearing in Argentina right now, that if things get bad, soon enough, we may have hyperinflation. Nobody wants that, 
of course, no, the people don't want that. But it's it's curious to see that, for example, for Millet, hyperinflation would likely be positive because then he would be able to solve it or at least appear as the solver of hyperinflation um, and, you know, stay in, in, in history books uh, like the savior of Argentina. Um, and so, you know, the, the time between now and December 10th, when the new president is going to take over, uh, that is going to be rough. You know, we're going to have to buckle up. Marcos Falcone joining us. When it comes to Argentina, because we have these big personalities, and we'll talk about Malay in just a second, where are the people at? Because the American audience, you know, we we don't do real good with physical policy. All those numbers go over our head, and we go chase another flashy object in the news. We've had inflation to a smaller scale over the last year or so, so people are talking about it, but they don't really think about it, I don't think, as far as fiscal policy goes. Where are the people in Argentina? Because we're talking about policy. You're a policy guy. You know well and true economics is not a sexy, popular thing to talk about. Where are the people at other than just, is it just raging at the government, or do they have an understanding and an idea of, no, we don't want to do this? Hyperinflation is one of those words to get people attention. Where are they at in this process, do you think? Well, you know, the, the great merit of Javier Millet has been to introduce topics like these, uh, like fiscal deficit, like, the, you know, a balanced budget, inflation in the public mind. Um, ever since he started appearing on TV some like five years ago, and he's very, um, you know, uh, not, I don't want to say strange, but like a curious way, you know, by shouting at others and, and and screaming on TV and just being histrionic, you know, um, he has conveyed, you know, the the need for a balanced budget, uh, the need for, um, you know, tamering inflation, in a way that nobody else was able to do it um, previously. But having said that, I do think that the Argentine people are just fed up, basically, with this situation, and not just with the government, because. Um, if the culp- if the public identify only this government as the culprit, then the coalition that represents the previous government, the Macri government, um, would be you know running first. But it is not. Uh, so right now, what you have is a, a feeling of an anti-politics feeling in the Argentine people. People are fed up. People go to the supermarket and they see that on a weekly basis, for example, prices change. Uh, but their salaries don't go up the same way that prices do. Um, people just want to end this. Whatever this is, they want it to stop. I'm not going to say that the Argentine people have turned libertarian all of a sudden, because I don't think that's the case. I just think we're lucky that the rage that the people are feeling um, is going to Millet, because it could have well gone to a far left candidate, for example, and that would have been uh, terribly uh, disastrous for the country. Um, but I, I don't think that people are eternal libertarian. 
uh, I think people are following Millet because they think that Millet has a solution to the economic problems that Argentina faces. Yeah, Marcos Falcone joining us. That's really the heart of all this current issue with Malay, though. And that's why it's broken through the coverage in the international press and in the American press. Look, the press gets lazy. They're going to, you know, in America, they're going to compare everybody to Trump. You know, in BBC, they're going to compare him to Boris Johnson. He's a loud, big personality type. He's got that funny haircut. He's loud. He yells. He's riding down the street in a car with a chainsaw. He's doing all that stuff. Is there substance to the sizzle? Is there stake to the sizzle? That's the question the outsiders have. You already brought it up. There's the questions like if he gets into power, is he going to have a ruling coalition to actually do this stuff? That's the question people have from the media coverage. As you see it, though, what's a fair representation under the antics, which, as you said, it's people fed up. We've seen it before all through history. You can get the rage to get into the power. Can you channel that into something productive? That's kind of the big question and the unknown here, right? Well, I think uh, Millet's success depends, well, first on getting elected, uh, which is no certainty. I mean, it is a likely scenario, but not. we don't have 100% certainty of that. Um, and then I think his success will depend on how he, um, it, on whether he's able to um, build this coalition that you were talking about. And he has taken steps uh, to already try to secure support, for, for example, from um, trade unions. Um, he is uh, he, he's trying to get, for example, support from Peronist uh, union leaders, um, some of them notoriously corrupt, uh, like the people know they're corrupt. One of them uh, back in the 90s once said that, you know, we Argentines, we, we need to stop stealing for two years. And now he's meeting with Millet, and Millet's trying to secure support from him. But why is Millet trying to do that? Because he is trying, he's likely to attempt changes to labor legislation, for example, that if he has no allies, um, will not go through, or will be traumatic for the population just because, you know, we'll have uh, demonstrations on the street daily, on a daily basis. Uh, and, and things will become unbearable. So Millet is trying to build this support. Um, I think if he wins the election, then the question will be how exactly does he secure um, a, a, a legislative bloc that is uh, large enough to survive? Because we also have impeachment, for example, here in Argentina. And if the opposition decides that they don't like Millet, they may have the numbers to just remove him from office. And so he's going to have to talk to the rest of the opposition, most likely, the, the, the center-right Juntos por el Cambio coalition, which in turn is composed of various parties, some of them which are more uh, classical liberal than others. Um, and, and he, and the big question, the big question right now is, what is Millet going to do with Peronism? Uh, because he is supposed to be an outsider. He is supposed to be an opponent of both Peronism and anti-Peronism. And then we have some indications that um, candidates who are running on Millet's behalf um, at the local level, at the state level, are Peronists. Uh, and some of them were part of this government. And some of them were part of the coalition that is currently supporting this government. And so nobody knows whether they are going to stay within Millet's coalition, 
or whether they will go back to their origins. And so there are many questions as to whether Millet will be able to accomplish what he wants. Um, and I think that that's going to depend um, on his skill, um, which is going, I mean, if he's going to succeed, he's going to have to um, go back in his own steps because he has this style, you know, of being confrontational, of not, um, you know, of trying to not build alliances of any sort. But if he comes to power, he will have to build alliances because otherwise he's going to be a failure. And his voters will remind him very quickly of that because nobody wants to wait for anything. You know, with 130% of inflation and the risk of hyperinflation, everybody wants solutions and they want them now. Marcos Falcone joining us. Part of this dynamic is not just, you know, how charismatic Malay is. His opponent is part of this story as well. Like you said, this election isn't wrapped up. Anything can happen. But Patricia Bullrich, she has a dynamic working against her. And you bring it up in your piece. Again, read this entire piece. We're going to be linking to it. Where the Thank gradual you. approach she is presenting and advocating for, this is recent memory stuff where they've heard this before in Argentina. They've seen it within the last decade or so. And it did not go well. Now, obviously, that's not all on her. The gradual approach is usually, you know, sounds good on paper, right? But that's a dynamic that's playing against, and it's probably feeding into the charismatic and the over-the-top stuff that Malay's doing a little bit, too. Talk about that dynamic a little bit, because that plays into the voters' mindset of, well, I've heard this before. This guy may be a little off-kilter and a little crazy, but let's try something here. Yeah, so between 2015 and 2019, um, we had Mauricio Macri as president, and he was able to, um, well, basically kick Peronism out of power. Uh, it had been in power for 12 years, but then he did fail, and that's why Peronism went back to power in 2019. Um, and so it, it, it's curious because Millet actually likes Macri, and he has said that uh, they usually talk. Uh, apparently, Macri likes Millet too, and he thinks that Millet may be able to accomplish what he was not able to. Uh, but then Macri is, of course, uh, he is sort of obliged to support um, his candidate, his former minister, Patricia Bullrich. Um, but it looks like Patricia Bullrich is not even as economically um, conservative or classical liberal um, as Patricia Bullrich. Uh, in, in that way, the change within the Juntos por el Cambio coalition um, has been for worse. Um, it, they, they did not become aware that this gradual approach, you know, of just slowly lowering uh, taxes, slowly lowering uh, public spending um, does not work. And that's, uh, that's worrisome. That's worrisome for many voters. Um, but th that also just, you know, feeds to the narrative that we're hearing more of the same, you know, that we've heard this before, as you say, and we know how that happened. 
if you um, do a poll on Mauricio Macri right now, for example, his net um, image is going to be negative, not positive. People do not have good uh, you know, memories about his presidency. Of course, uh, the first two years, everything went well. But then, you know, uh, after the markets realized that change was not being implemented as fast as, as he had promised, then things started to go really bad until he was kicked out of office. Um, so, you know, uh, the, the dynamics in the rest of the opposition also seem to be benefiting uh, Millet. Not to say, of course, what's going on with, with the current economy, because the third candidate that, that, that we haven't talked about that much uh, so far, Sergio Massa, he's the current minister of economy. Um, and he, of course, has a very hard time trying to justify everything that's happening under his own government, basically, because the president, you know, at this point, um, it's just symbolic. He, he, he does nothing. Nobody cares about him. He's not on the news. He's not running for re-election. He's widely unpopular. Um, and so everything has fallen to the Minister of Economy, who, of course, um, is having a hard time trying to explain why, uh, you know, inflation is at 130% or why has poverty reached uh, 40% as it was announced a few weeks ago, um, or why we have, you know, um, a, a, an informal market for the dollar. Why, why can't there be just one market? Why does the government need to um, fix a price, you know, um, fix the exchange rate um, and create all sorts of problems in the economy? Um, so the dynamics both in the rest of the opposition and in the, within the government are both benefiting Milay right now. Marcos Falcone joining us. Let's kind of round it off to where we started here. In Argentina, you spoke of it. This is not a new issue. This isn't like, you know, Venezuela where they were rich and then got poor again because of the government. This has been an 80-year thing that's gone on. This is multiple generations. You just said it in talking about the candidates there. Everybody's heard every there's nothing new that you're going to say in a campaign ad that folks haven't heard at this point, right? Is this more than just win an election and change things because nobody probably really believes that even if they believe one of these candidates can change things it's going to be more than one election thing is there a societal cultural almost a national identity thing that needs to change here to break this cycle do you think this is bigger than just the election no disrespect to the candidates but even they're saying you know malay's even said in some histories like this is not a one election fixed thing this is going to take a lot is that something that also has to be discussed or the people are discussing is like, look, we, we need to kind of re-examine who we are as a country and as a people here, because if you've done it for 80 years, it's just hard to break out of that kind of a rut, is it not? It is. Uh, and I think the, the big problem uh, for Argentina is that people have grown used to living off of others. And that is just terrible for the country. It has been terrible ever since Peron and most of the presidents that followed him, um, the state has grown, you know, public spending has always increased. We have always had fiscal deficits. And the reason why that happens is because 
the, the government consistently wants to spend more money than it has. And the reason why that happens is because people demand money out of the state. And so this ends in, in, in terrible fiscal crisis like we experience once at least every 10 years. Um, and so what needs to change is the, the cultural sort of idea that people have a right of living off of the state. If you analyze today the number of subsidies that exist, the number of handouts, you know, um, in terms of how many people receive handouts and the, the amount of money that they get through handouts, uh, it's just through the roof. Right now in Argentina, you could be able to make a living just off of handouts, government handouts. You don't even have to work. When that happens, you know, you have this vicious circle of people just dropping out of the job market because they can get money out of the state, but then the money can't, re the, the state can't really afford that. And so we have inflation, you know, and debt prices and fiscal crisis in the end. So it is this vicious circle that we need to stop. People need to realize that, you know, if the state does things right, you know, if, if it just, uh, if it lowers taxes, if it lowers spending, if it sets reasonable rules for everyone to intervene in the market economy, then they can su they succeed. I'm sorry, they can succeed. Uh, then they can succeed by being, uh, of course, um, well, entrepreneurs uh, or, or just, you know, launching their ideas to the market. But it can't continue to happen that people think that they have a right to live on others. That is what's, what is causing this crisis, uh, and, and, and that is what needs to change. Yeah, Marcos Falcone joining us from down in Argentina. Um, give us a couple things, because we've got a couple weeks for this election. Give us a couple things to watch for in the headlines that might break through. Obviously, Javier Bonet, he's going to break through because he's charismatic. You get the Trump comparisons, which aren't a good comparison, but people, you know, it is what it is. He's going to get some press time up here, but what's a couple things folks should watch in the headlines as to what's actually happening down there, both during this election? And like you said, this is a short lead time. The new president comes in in December. This is going to go pretty quick. Just give folks something because they get busy. People forget like, oh, that's that Argentina story. I need to watch that. Give us a couple nuggets to watch for in the couple coming months. Well, in, in the coming months, I would watch for um, economic indicators, maybe, uh, just to, to see whether we are actually heading to hyperinflation or not. Um, of course, uh, I would look to, um, I will look for results uh, at about 20, 19 days from now, um, on, on October, um, a few weeks from now, on October uh, 22nd. Uh, and then I would look for, if Millet wins, uh, the, the names in his cabinet, uh, because those may indicate the level of support that he gets from the establishment which so far is, it does not seem like it's, it's a lot. But if, if we get a new president, of course, that generates interest, and many people are going to want to join the government just because it's the government. Uh, and so there, we should watch out for Millet's judgment in picking cabinet members, for example. And we should also um, be aware of what he does and how he tries to uh, contact uh, other parties and coalitions in Congress, because that's going to be key for him to just basically stay in office uh, and, and, and block any uh, attempts at, um, at impeachment. But then also uh, it will be key to passing actual reform um, and not just through decrees 
which are constitutionally limited to a few areas, uh, not, not all. Yeah, Marcus Falcone. Okay, that was all tough, really serious, important stuff. Let me give you an easy one to take the edge off before we let you go. Uh, Leo Messi is in America. How's it playing down there, him being in America? Of course, he could do anything he wants to, and people would celebrate it because he's that beloved. But how's the American experiment for Argentine's favorite son going right now down there? How's it playing for those folks down there? I think it's going great for him. Um, he has been like mildly criticized by some left-wing lunatics um, who demanded that he come here, uh, that he had, you know, and said that he had sold his soul to the devil. But I think just people are just uh, realizing that he's having a great time, um, and that's awesome. And I think Miami is a great choice for him uh, because it's it's full of Argentines, to be honest. Uh, but there aren't anywhere so he can you know live his life um you know enjoy the sunshine play soccer um you know enjoy his family um and live the the american dream right which a lot of argentines want to live true uh too uh, that's why we're, we're talking about dollarization after all <laughs> so uh, i think people people like that messi is enjoying his last years of uh of soccer um up in miami yeah and for folks that aren't familiar, Miami's one of those cities that just can handle a big celebrity like him. Like he can never be completely normal, but he can be more normal in a Miami or an LA because they're used to celebrity. You know, you've already seen the videos. He goes to the supermarket, he goes to Publix and things like that. Uh, it's a lot of fun, I'll tell you that. It's fun. Somebody that lived in Europe and has followed, you know, the European game for many years. It's a lot of fun for people to get a little taste of what that's like here in the state. Uh, Marcos Falcone, really appreciate it. Again, this piece is an econ lib. We're going to link to the whole piece. There's two or three links in there. You really need to click the links to, especially that poverty rate one, because that gets to the heart of a lot of this. Read all that. Educate yourself on Argentina. We'll continue to talk about it, my friend. We will definitely have you back, but you got a lot of things going on. Let folks know where they can find you and follow you until we get you back on Hertel the next time. Yes. Um, if you want to follow me on Twitter, you are very welcome to do so. Uh, you can find me under the uh, handle um, Hyperfalcon, which is spelled as hyper, uh, only with a with a Latin Y, um, and then Falcon at the end. And you'll find me, or it's just my name, you know, Marcos Falcone. You'll find me on Twitter. Uh, I also have a website, marcosfalcone.com.ar, uh, and you will find my, my latest updates on there. Yeah, really appreciate your time. Definitely will have you back. You know, we try to stay on top of this. We had talked about um, Argentino as some of the other elections. There's a lot of elections going on. There's some really some good ones that aren't, you know, like this one where there's some real. And you got stuff like Ecuador that's really ugly right now. We appreciate your insights. We try to keep a global perspective. Thank you so much, sir. We'll have you back soon. Bye, Andrew. Thank you. Thank you, sir. All the music on Hertel is provided under a creative content license from MonsterCat.com. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.
Religion is at the intersection of our 21st century life, even if we don't express a faith. At a time when it seems that religion isn't as prevalent as it once was, it still leaves its mark everywhere. As a pastor, I know that religion isn't something I just do on a Sunday, but it's found in every nook and cranny of my life. Sexuality, politics, social media, the economy, war, nationalism, all have some kind of religious angle to them. And as a communicator, I want to find the stories that can help people understand this part of our society that is so important to so many. Hi, I'm Dennis Sanders, and I'm the host of Church and Maine. Church and Maine is a podcast about the journey of faith and where it intersects with modern life. I look at faith with a journalist's eye, asking the who, where, what, why, and how religion affects some of the major issues of the day. Join me as we journey together. You can listen to Church in Maine podcasts at the website churchinmaine.org or on your favorite podcast app. I look forward to seeing you. Folks, you've heard of Ethan Brown on the Hurtel Show a couple of different times, but if you're interested in learning about how to discuss things like climate change without all the politics and doom and gloom, head over to his podcast, The Sweaty Penguin. Sweaty Penguin is a late-night comedy-style climate podcast working to add nuance, critical thinking, humor, and hope to the climate conversation. they got over 100 episodes already, breaking down weekly news stories and specific topics, from the vanilla to the ADHD to the international accountability to orangutans. Yes, I know, it's a comedy thing, so just go with it. But each time, exploring different ways we can make progress on these issues while still helping the economy, health, security, and everything else we care about. Feel overwhelmed, exhausted, or excluded by today's climate change discourse? This is the podcast for you. Find the Sweaty Penguin wherever you get your podcast or at www.thesweatypenguin.com.